Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Bob Eskenazi. I'm a covenant partner here. And this week we see how the how our perspective, uh, the, how the perspective of our praise will either ruin or restore. God's grace invites us to find rest by pointing our praise to Jesus, providing pictures of God uh, as both shepherd and king. Rejecting the temptation to worship ourselves, Christians praise Jesus to discover how he satisfies and restores our souls. Please join me in reading Psalm 95. Hear the word of our God. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God. Thank you, Bob. Uh, good morning, everybody. It is a joy and an honor to worship with you. I'll be honest, true confessions. Uh, we love partnering with people that are planting churches, supporting them. Uh, but after having Caleb here last week, uh, I asked him to not be so good next time. And I was a little worried that I'd come this week and everybody would have gone to their church plant. So thank you for being here for more reasons than one. Uh, it's a joy um, to worship with you. If you have a Bible, please keep it open to Psalm 95. Uh, if you have a phone with an app, please open it as you do. Uh, just really, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, but want to welcome all of our itty bitties. We love wiggles in worship. We love it. And any wiggle uh, is worship for our community. We love children. We want to see more grow. I want to emphasize what, what Becky said, uh, that if you are looking for a way to, to uh, really fuel faith formation at home or individually, the um, New City Catechism is a tremendous resource. There's a great study guide that goes with it. I know, too, a lot of y'all are, are new to the faith. Several of you have just started coming to church, and you do things uh, like recite the Apostles' Creed, and you're wondering, what is that all about? Uh, we have resources that can help explain that on a, a more personal level, uh, just to give you some background, some, some biblical insight, historical insight into uh, why it is we do what we do as we worship the living God. But right now, uh, we study God's word because God wants to meet you personally, and he wants to restore your soul. Uh, he wants to help you find the rest that you long for through reorienting uh, the, the focus of our praise. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we unpack his word together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you that you want to meet with us. I pray that we would not harden our hearts, that we would welcome your word. You'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I ask, Lord, that you would bear fruit in our lives. Lord, please, Holy Spirit, meet us and speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So the perspective of our praise, that is where the priorities of our heart are oriented. Those things that we exalt to the highest level uh, of our attention, uh, of, our, of our monetary, our time, all of our investment, that which we consider most paramount and important, that thing that we focus on in praise will either deteriorate ourselves, ruin us, or it will restore us. Uh, what we prioritize in praise will either give us light and life, or it will lead us into discouragement and darkness. When we focus our praise on things that are of this world, uh, when we focus our praise on things that are here today and gone tomorrow, then when our circumstances change, uh, then we encounter a severe emptiness in life. The reality is that, that God in his grace wants to give you fullness, light, life, restoration, through inviting you to discover through Psalm 95 uh, how we can praise him, how we can praise Jesus. Now, uh, we're doing a series of summer in Psalms. We've already acknowledged and unpacked the paradigm that the, the, songs, uh, the Psalms are the hymn book of God's people. The songs of Scripture shape the saints, and through us, God wants to shape the world. In a world that's living in darkness, looking for light, living in despair, looking for hope, uh, longing for true uh, fulfillment and restoration, it's paramount that the people of God learn the priority of praising the person of Jesus for who he is. Um, and so we have this invitation to do that today. Now, Psalm 95, you already heard uh, it read. We're going to unpack it a little bit before we get down to the nitty-gritty. Here's a, here's a general overview. It begins with uh, an invitation. Come and praise him. Look, look at verse uh, 1 and verse 2. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. You see this invitation repeated twice and then emphasized again in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship. This gracious invitation is extended to everyone to learn uh, to focus our praise. And in the context, uh, as an illustration uh, of people who miss the, the invitation of the priority of praise, the uh, people who put their focus of their praise on circumstances of their lives, you heard and will refer to again uh, the generation that was in the wilderness. The wilderness wandering of Israel after they had come out of Egypt, uh, they hardened their hearts. They ignored the word of God at the end of verse 7. And we'll see that they actually forgot the work of God. And their summary of their, the wilderness generations on the screen. They forgot God's Passover. They didn't remember their redemption from Egypt. They minimized God's presence. They gave way too much priority to their circumstances, too much influence there. They ignored God's provision. When they were in the wilderness, they grumbled. Instead of being grateful, no one in here can identify with that, not me. 
And they looked past God's promise. They didn't trust that he would do what he said he would do and take them where he said he would. And what was the result? The result was ruin. They ignored God's word. They forgot God's work. And a whole generation died off. So I want to establish uh, kind of the, the power, uh, illustrate this uh, whole paradigm uh, with a famous story. Do we have any C.S. Lewis fans, Chronicles of Narnia? Any Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, man, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I heard, I heard, is that an amen I heard over there? Good. So I, I have seven favorite volumes of the Chronicles of Narnia. There's only seven. One of them is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And you might remember, if you've read that version, there's this just a punk of a guy, just an ungrateful jerk whose name was Eustace. And Eustace uh, was super ungrateful. He was super elitist. He thought he was better than everybody else. He was too good for the crew he was with, and he was bitter about being a Narnia, all this stuff. And there's this powerful scene where Eustace, this ungrateful, snobby boy goes on this island by himself and he comes to a cave. And in this cave, you may remember what he discovered. He discovered abundant treasure, just a mountain of gold, a mountain of rubies, a mountain of bracelets and jewelry and all kinds of amazing stuff. And Eustace had his focus captured. And you can, Lewis's description of his obsession, of his focus, you can almost feel the priority, the praise, his focus, the point of his existence is to consider, how can I take this wealth and have a comfortable life? And so he looks around, he does only what he can think he can do. He starts stuffing his pockets, filling his pants, putting things on his head and on his legs and on his arms. And just, you just imagine this kid, this punk, ungrateful kid, thinking he's found this whole treasure. And he's like, yes, I've arrived. And he wants to go outside and show everybody what he found. But it's raining. And Eustace can't get out. So he waits till it stops raining and stops raining, and he ends up falling asleep. And you might think, well, that's kind of anticlimactic. But what's interesting is, the reader finds out, Eustace had found treasure of a dragon. And when you begin to covet and then to take, to praise that treasure of a dragon, you know what happens? In Narnia, you turn into a dragon. And when Eustace woke up from his nap, oh man, his arms were, were hurting and he looked down and <gasps> he saw a dragon arm and he flinched and then he saw a tail and he thought, oh my gosh, the dragon's here. And he realized that his praise of the wealth, the treasure, had actually turned him into a dragon. You see, what we hold is the top priority of our life. What we long for, look for, live for, what we praise, it will either make us a dragon and ruin us, or we can take God's invitation and find true treasure by worshiping him. Now, the psalm gives us this amazing invitation, 
Oh, come. Oh, come. Oh, come, let's make a joyful noise. Let us worship the king in the shepherd. He gives two images for us. The invitation is for all, and the image is to help unpack the personal nature. So the first thing we see is we praise God as king. In verse 3, for the Lord is a great God. He is greater than anything that you know or you see in this world. He's the great king above all gods. He, this picture of God being the king over everything, the way Paul would describe Jesus in Colossians 1, he rules over what is visible, what is invisible, all every power, authority, every dominion that is seen and unseen. He's king over absolutely everything. He's worthy of being the top priority. He's worthy of being the point. He's worthy of being the primary place of our praise. And in his hand, says the psalmist, you see that, you see that right there? And in his hand, the king gives security in his hand. Do you feel like life's out of control? Do you wonder that sometimes? Do you wonder, like, is is anything controlling life, this chaos, the, the, the heartache of the headlines of the world or the, or the heaviness of your life, your family, your friendships, things going on at work? In his hand, the king holds. I, I have so many privileges as a pastor. I love what God's called me to do. But one of the greatest privileges is when people let you into their life in places of more fear than faith, more questions than answers. And recently, I had a man make an appointment with me, and I thought he wanted to talk about some discernment with, with some medical stuff. Big questions, part of my story. I've had some discernment with medical stuff, so I can kind of speak the language uh, a little bit. So I thought I was just stewarding my journey. I sit down with this man, and he says, I said, yeah, I'm trying to make, keep it light, encourage him. He says, hey, Mitchell, I don't know if I'm ready to meet Jesus. He said, you know, if everything goes south, I don't know if I'm really secure in God's love. His heart longed for this security that only the steadfast love can bring. So, Instead of talking about health, we talked about how we can be sure and know that we can be in his hands. But what about seasons where I've strayed from him? What about seasons where I've, I've actually had other things that I've prioritized as praise more than my personal relationship with him? To go over what it means to understand God in, in a covenantal way where his love for you is based on his work and not yours, his performance, not yours, his faithfulness, so much so that when you're faithless, he remains faithful, says Paul. And to pray with him, you don't know what a privilege that is, but that invitation of security to know that you can be in his hand, that's when we uh, have what we get of restoration when we worship Jesus as king. But the Lord, he's a great God. The next thing we see, he gives dignity to his people and he gives a humble heart to kneel and bow down. Look at this. For the Lord is a great God. He's king above all gods in his hand. 
infinitely are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. Did you know this, by the way, just depths of the earth? We've sent people to moon, the moon. We're trying to send people to Mars. And we've never been to the deepest part of the earth. Do you know that? It's unbelievable in the bottom of the ocean. Humans that haven't been there, we can't take the pressure. But here, God is there. He holds it in his hands. The sea are his, verse 5. For he made it. His hands formed dry land. God has this infinite creative power as king of kings. We can't help but go to Psalm 8 where the psalmist is just worshiping God for the majesty of his creation. And it takes us to this place of intimacy. It gives us a humble heart. It says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. This combination of, of seeing the king rule infinitely over everything and being reminded that, that we too are made by him. In Psalm 8, to continue, uh, you remember humans are called the crown of his creation. And there's this infinite reality of the rule of the king that is intimately in your life, where he formed creation from the dust, so intimate that he blew life into humanity. No other creature was dignified in that way. But we can kneel before the, our God, our maker. This dynamic where we see his infinite infinite rule, an intimate personal relationship, it leads us to a place of humility, of kneeling and bowing down. And let me ask you, what have you kneeled before this week? Where do you bow down? I think that if somebody actually did live on another planet and they actually did visit us and you said, hey, what do these creatures bow down to? They would probably be something like this. I see him doing this a lot. It's a lot of bowing down, right? But your heart, what have you humbled yourself before? The invitation of King Jesus invites you to, to receive with gratitude what he's given you. We kneel before our God, our maker. Um, he is our God, and we're the sheep of his pasture. We'll get there. But this unbelievable gift. So I was able, our church is so phenomenal for so many multiple reasons. One is the ways that we uh, love people in our city. And this week I was just reminded of, of how powerful it can be. And I saw a picture, I think, of, of someone who was uh, restored in dignity, uh, but moved to humility. So you might have heard of Town Twin Village. It's a, it's a tiny home area that is being built on the east side of San Antonio uh, for homeless veterans. In this place, the first phase of this, they've got three different units that are being built. It's a, it's a first uh, tiny home place in San Antonio for the homeless. Uh, they've already had one phase come in, and uh, literally they had a guy take one of the homes. You've got to qualify, and it's a, it's a comprehensive care. They have a whole continuum of care there. They had a guy move in that had lived on the streets of our city 40 years. For decades, he had been homeless. But our church, is this amazing way, uh, decided that two of the homes in the new cluster they're opening up, we wanted to decorate. So we had people in our church go out and buy beds and curtains. I mean, they were matching everything from pillows to plates. I was, a shower, I was crazy. It was awesome. And they spent a whole day getting two homes ready. 
in this picture of someone who's been sleeping on their streets, no dignity, is given a place to stay, a house, and move from, from realizing that they have dignity to a place of unbelievable humility and gratitude, realizing that, that they now have a place to stay. They now have security. You see, this is what God does for us in so much more of a way that the great king of all the earth looks down at you and he gives you dignity as a crown of his creation. You are not unseen. You are not unloved. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. You can be with him in relationship. And then he gives you so much more than a tiny home. He gives you an abundant life in Christ. And that should move us from a place of realizing that he is our maker, We receive this beautiful world that he created, his infinite rule, and we're moved to humility and gratitude where we kneel down before him. That's a perspective of praise, not where we worship the created things or worship what he's given us, but we praise him for who he is. It takes us to the second thing that we have, picture we have. It's a picture of God as shepherd. Verse 6 He says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. He's our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his word, do not harden your hearts. Uh, We are sheep. When we praise God as shepherd, we realize that we're illustrated as the stupidest animal in the world, a sheep. We have all kinds of dignity, We're created in God's image, but man, we sure follow. We sure nibble our way into lostness and follow false shepherds. We're called the people of his pasture. Sheep in his hand, that that reinforcement of being in him. And you wonder, how do we get lost as sheep? If God reveals himself as shepherd... And he, are you ready for this? I'm going, to, I'm going to ask permission. I'm going to get a little bit personal here. Are you ready? Can we do that? No? <laughs> are we just all asleep? Can I get a little personal? I saw Chris's head nod. Okay, we'll do that. So here's the deal. How do we get lost? There's a reason why God, the psalmist, uses the wilderness generation here. They literally had been in generational slavery. God demonstrated his faithfulness. You remember when we studied the song of Moses, the song of salvation. God literally redeemed them and freed them. They came out of the wilderness. God demonstrated victory over the most powerful army in the world at the time. And he brought them into a place. He'd begun feeding them with manna. He had turned bitter water, made it sweet. He had done nothing but provide for them. And they became grumbly. Now, how do we get lost as sheep? We lose our gratitude and we start grumbling. How do sheep get lost? Sheep get lost because they look down, they see a clump of grass, and then they nibble their way to law. Oh, here's one over here. Oh, here's one over here. Oh, this looks good over here. All right, this looks, oh, this looks really good. And they, and they eat and they look up, they're like, well, where am I? Where's the shepherd? And this is what you do. You look down, you're like, oh, man, life is so good. Oh, but it's not as good as these people over here. Man, they've got it. Oh, man, 
Like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't know how this is going to happen. Man, would you look at that? Look how good they got it over here. I can't believe it. Dadgummit, I don't have it. I want to do that. I want to have what they have. And then we grumble our way into looking up to a place of entitlement. Hey, God, how about you remember the little people over here, man? Like, I, I thought we were in relationship or something, God. My life's pretty hard. I'm pretty lonely. My work stinks. My boss, jerk. My finances don't have enough zeros around it. My family, well, they hadn't changed, so I'm not going to be grateful about that. We grumble our way into lostness as sheep because we're, we, we're, here's what that is. That's a diagnosis that we praise our circumstances. We praise what we have. We praise what we see. And when those circumstances change, we're entitled like Dragon Boy Eustace, right? Where are you, God? I thought you were good, man. He is good. He hasn't changed. Your circumstances have changed. God's still good. Your circumstances have changed. He's still with you. Your circumstances have changed. He still has provided and he will provide for you. Your circumstances are changed. Well, then what is this uncomfortable nature that I feel? It's a conviction that your point and perspective of praise is off. And you're just tasting the ruin that can come if that continues. You're just tasting the darkness that comes when you have a God before our God. You see... God in his grace woos us to come home. The Bible teaches in Romans that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us into repentance. It's the good shepherd that, that leaves the 99 and goes after the stray. Nowhere in scripture does it teach anywhere that God goes out and he finds his sheep and he breaks their leg and he's like, now I'm gonna teach you a lesson and you're gonna hear, I'm just gonna lecture you to your leg heels. Shepherds don't do that anywhere in the world. They never have. It's not in Scripture, nowhere at all. It's the goodness of God as a shepherd that comes out. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Are you ready for this hope? You can find nowhere else that our shepherd king was actually broken so that you can be healed and restored. He actually went into a place of darkness to death so that you can come into the light and know him. Jesus, the shepherd king, died so that all who have faith in him can live. And it is the power of the gospel, the grace of God in Jesus Christ that woos us to walk on the ground of gratitude so that our grumbling can be diagnosed and removed in that our restoration can begin when we focus on him. We become satisfied. Look at, look at where this uh, uh, ends. Verse eight, he says, don't harden your hearts as they did in Meribah, as they did in Mass in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test, they put me to the proof and they had seen my work. For 40 years, God says, I loathe that generation. There are people who went astray in their heart. 
can I, I, I one more, one more really, really pressing. I'm just, I hate doing this. Actually, I love it, maybe too much, but you need to hear it. People tell me this. Well, pastor, you know, I know I'm a sheep in, in his fold. I mean, look, I'm at church right now. I'm doing everything right, right? And life still isn't working for me, man. You see where it says? It says, they went astray in their heart. That's where the, that's where the grumbling begins to slide. That's where the, the little crack opens. It's in your heart. It's not proximity. You can be here on your hiney and still be far away in here. And there's only one place that'll satisfy. Only one place that'll actually deliver the promise that you're looking for. And the fulfillment that you long for. It's the shepherd king, Jesus Christ. So here's some places where we can land this. First, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus in relationship, you need to do that. Stop dancing around religion. God is not impressed with self-righteousness. His design when Adam and Eve rebelled against him and they were kicked out of the garden, he did not. Hey, well, if they just work hard enough and perform hard enough and eventually obey my law, then I'll allow them back into my presence. No. Don't insult God like that. He loved you so much that while you were his enemy, he came and lived the perfect life you can never live, died the death you deserve to die, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Give your heart to him. Well, I have, Mitchell. I'm not experiencing the restoration that you're talking about. Next thing. Then rejoice in Jesus being king. Trust him with everything. Your circumstances that are frustrating, he's got them. Your questions that are unanswered, he's a solution. Your fear that's really great, have faith. Don't live by sight. Trust him with everything. I see it all the time. And people that want to experience the fullness of life, they know Jesus is a savior, but they haven't trusted him as Lord. They haven't moved in that place where they show their love for the Lord by obeying his word in everything. It's a proper response to God's grace. That's where we experience the light and the hope and really worship him with our, with our life. Third, focus your heart in praise with your lips, with your life. It should, it should read your lips, your labor, your life, your loves. So we have the opportunity to focus our heart in living with Jesus as king by obeying him in everything. Next, what's the next one? Is it trust or gorge? Huh? Trust in God with all your heart. Trust in God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And finally, gorge yourselves in the green pasture of his grace. You know, the Bible teaches that all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. He won't let us go or in his hand. But through opportunities of corporate worship, of scripture study, of memorization, of prayer, of fellowship, of being in small groups, growing with people, these are ways that we can gorge ourselves in the green pastures of God's grace. Now you see where this passage ends. In God's wrath, he says, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. And we're left there wanting more. And that's what points us to the cross. Because God's word is clear that all of God's wrath against our sin 
all of it fell on him, Jesus Christ. He's a propitiatory sacrifice. God took his, our, his wrath so that we could be justified in his sight and reprioritize our praise in response to his grace. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. The end of this psalm is not the end of your story and not the end of this story. Now, Eustace turning into a dragon isn't the end of the story either. Kids, would you be a little nervous if you woke up and you looked like a dragon? Eustace was. Eustace was scared to death. He thought he was going to be a dragon the rest of his life, but do you know who the king is in Narnia? Anybody know? Aslan. Aslan the king finds Eustace. He comes to him. And you know what uh, Lewis describes what Aslan does is undragoning Eustace. He takes his claws and he peels off the outer layer of the dragon skin. And he steps out of it. And guess what? Eustace is still a dragon. And it, he describes it as painful. The way that God, or the Aslan, the God figure, rips away the scales and the hardness until finally Eustace is restored as a boy. And you know what? He didn't need what was the focus of his praise. He didn't need all the dragon treasure. He actually was a whole new grateful little kid because he had been touched by the king himself. And he went back and entered into community and found a treasure in Narnia that far surpassed a dragon's treasure. That invitation exponentially is offered to you because Aslan is a king that points to the true king, Jesus Christ, and he wants to undragon you, moving you from a place of grumbling to gratitude where you can respond to his invitation to worship him and have the point of your praise be Jesus as king and Jesus as shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your amazing invitation. We just confess our hearts are prone to wander. They are prone to wander. And so, Lord, we give them to you, and we ask that you would take them and seal them. We pray, Lord, that you would ambush us with your grace that would compel us to praise you in all of life and in everything, not just with our lips, but with our life and our labor and our loves. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.